Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. In 2008, a band of young Islamic militants from Pakistan lands in Mumbai. Their primary target is the iconic Taj Mahal Hotel. With Indian forces unable to regain control for four days, the guests must battle to survive as the terrorists seek to drive them from hiding. The harrowing events that follow will, will become known as India's 9-11, one of the most audacious terrorist attacks in history. Yet more than a tale of monsters and men, this is a story of our shared humanity at the dark crossroads to which we have now stumbled upon. That is the, uh, that's the setup for this um, remarkable narrative film called One Less God. And uh, we're joined today by the director of the film, and that would be Liam Worthingham. Liam, welcome to Film School. Lovely to be here, Mike. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Um, this is a story that I think a lot of Americans are familiar with, at least they're familiar with sort of the broad outlines of what happened um, but not necessarily into the detail that I think it warrants in terms of what happened in that iconic hotel, the Taj Mahal. Tell me a little bit about, because I do think this is a story that in, in, sort of in international terms probably has resonated more internationally than it is here. I guess that was mm. my point. But let, let's talk about just um, sort of the your understanding of the event itself, and then uh, your decision to sort of move forward and and turn this into a, a, a film. The events, the events. There were two two Australians were were killed in the attacks. There was 166 people killed in in total, and over 300 wounded, and thousands swept up into the events. And in, uh, India and Australia have always had quite a quite a close tie. We have a we have a large diaspora of Indians in in, in Australia. We have a strong rivalry through sports and a. Uh, a bit of a love affair with each other, I think, in, in a really healthy way as countries. And so I think there was there was definitely more of an impact because of that. Uh, and also myself, one of my co-producers on the film, we, we both knew people who actually lost uh, close friends in the attacks, and they weren't Australian. But that's the nature of these kind of events, of course. You, you don't usually have to go very, very many degrees of separation before you're finding people who are personally affected. So that, 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 was, that was the first way we felt very connected to the the event but really i think what it did for me was more ignite the idea of wanting to truly understand why this was occurring and move a bit past the news cycles which were endlessly you know they recycle constantly all the, the details the specifics who shot who where when how many all those kind of details which are interesting in themselves but you, you want to get to as a storyteller i guess you want to get to the people you want to you understand the emotion the sentiment and how people arrive there and that's what really drew me to it mm-hmm it is truly a terrible incident. Again, as we described in the introduction, 166 people killed. The hotel was under siege for four days, and in that period mm. of time, it didn't seem like there was an awful lot of relief. And for the people in the, that hotel, they probably had – well, first of all, they didn't have any idea what was really going on, I don't think. Maybe some, yeah. some cell phone services and probably got through that way, but – to, to be in that situation. And I think that's one of the strengths of One Less God, your film, is that we're able to get that sense of isolation and the sense that these people had in 
what they went through. Uh, I mean, that's central to the film, but you did a very nice job of capturing that in a lot of different levels. Um, what was in terms of, before we get into much more of the story and the characters, what were your challenges in trying to establish that sense of isolation, that sense of terror that these people felt in terms of putting this film together for you? What were you trying to accomplish and, and, and how you went about that? I think to me, uh, and sort of my background initially was in theatre and theatre directing and, and theatre acting. And the big challenge for me, when I, when I see movies which are become more contained in an environment, whether it's a, you know, an incredible submarine film like Dust Boot or whether it's, a, you know, whether it's a, a typical stick people in a, in, a, in a single house and lock them in and you know, release a monster in there of some kind, the, the problem for me is that often the performances, the genuine level of terror and fear, because these are humans at their most heightened state, uh, often hyper-realistic for me. They mm -hmm. don't manage to find that on a stage. It's almost like when you go to a funeral, and at a funeral you'll see people who are crying and you fall apart, and in the next moment someone's laughing. Mm -hmm. And it is that still that strange tapestry of, of, of what we go through as human beings. And so I knew that, for me, was going, that's the space we're going to have to get to. Mm -hmm. And to do that, we're really going to have to plunge in very deeply and then find a bunch of actors who are really willing to be very committed to going into those places and moving past, like I think where quite a few people sort of stop, you know, just when people are angry or just when people are, you know, crying. That was one of the big challenges I felt. Uh, it, it lent itself, though, the fact that the events for a lot of people were, as you said, the, the forces did not get there. The commanders, it's not like within, within minutes you're going to have forces rolling up and things staying to be contained, or, you know, or... Uh, or, or people fighting back. But in India at that point, it was it was chaos. It was bedlam. The police had no idea what was going on. At first, I thought the whole country was being invaded. Mm -hmm. And that sense lasted for more than half a day until the day before the commandos were fully there and they went into that real proper kind of lockdown mode. So it was a very different experience for the people trapped inside. So in terms of the, the events, the sense of isolation these people had, uh, let, let's sort of describe that those circumstances that these that they, first of all that the people in the hotel found, and also, uh, as I believe there there sort of an there was a concern nationally as to what was going on. Yeah, absolutely. So when the the, the first attacks happened, because this this was this was the first time that a the modus operandi for what has become was became France with multiple targets being hit at the same time by a small mobile force that, that just activated inside a country. This was the first real time that it happened. We had sieges before, but this was, this was a motorcycle bombing here and a, a hostage situation there, random attacks at an airport here, uh, at a, pardon me, a train station here, random attacks at a, a cafe there and at a hospital here. So that was all occurring at the same time. And for Indian forces that were Literally, some of these guys, you've got police officers trying to combat guys with AK-47s, and all they've got, they're armed with canes. Yeah. And some of them had colonial rifles that have, you know, haven't been updated for 100 years, and they were the better armed. And so the response of the Indians and to how they were able to, or, or unable to maintain the militants, it was just at first absolute total panic and chaos. And the country literally thought at first that maybe it was even being invaded because the, the, the rivalry between Pakistan and India has been so heated over the years. They thought this might have even been an, an all-out attack. And so you've got all that misinformation, everything to the other level of people just going, you know, going, oh, no, it's just gang wars. This is, this is not really anything. It's just some, you know, some fighting on the street somewhere. So there was so much misinformation going around. And it took 
literally uh, 24 hours for the commandos to be flown in from the northernmost tip and to land on scene. And I think for that point to go into what we typically understand as a terrorist siege, mm-hmm. where things are in lockdown and now we're you know, trying to figure out how do we get in and how do we contain the situation. Amazing. Amazing. I want to remind our listeners we're speaking with the director of the film, One Last God, and that's uh, Liam Worthington. And it will be screening uh, at the Dances with Films Film Festival here in Los Angeles on June 8th at 930 at the TCL Theater, which is used to be known as the Grauman's Chinese. It's an iconic theater in the in the heart of Hollywood. So it's easy to find and easy to and check this whole festival out. It is truly becoming more and more a, a must stop for people interested in film festivals. It's been it's been getting better and better every year and this is this year's no exception and this is this film is an exceptional film. Um, and, and as we're describing it, let, let's, let's move past. So the, so that was the reality of it. And I, I do mm. think it's important to point out to people that India and Pakistan are in the eyes of many experts in the world. If there's ever going to be an exchange of nuclear weapons, yes. they're really high on that list, if not at That's the right. top of that list. So for this to be a perception of an invasion by Pakistan is insanely crazy and dangerous as to the as to the outlook for the rest of the world as well. So, uh, so let's that's that's a fair statement, isn't it? <laughs> I believe so. I th- I've heard Kashmir is probably the, the most dangerous place on the planet, and it's and it has to do with a dispute between India and Pakistan. And in fact, you yes. refer to the in, to Kashmir in your film as well. Well, let's talk about. We talked about the logistics. We talked about this sort of the setup of it. Um, mm-hmm. Now let's talk a little bit about you know casting. You got a terrific cast of people, sort of a, very much an international cast. Um, what went into selecting the people you got for for the different roles? Because there's just it's really well done. Yeah, that's great. Thank you. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm very pleased with our cast, and, uh, and as you say, it really was an international cast. And well, the nature of these events, uh, it, it, right from the beginning to me, it said that it had to be an international cast, and we needed a very diverse cast. And luckily, I guess where I am in Australia, there there is there, there are large communities from India, but Pakistan less so. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we did a big outreach and moving out through friends and, and through uh, people of different faith. And, and, and my casting period probably lasted for close to six months. It's one of the only advantages, I guess, of being a smaller independent film is that you can afford to move sometimes at the pace of you know what, what's occurring. So yeah. we, we, you know, we used, tried to use that to our advantage and, and just uh, went through a lot of people. I wasn't, you know, I, I treated it like we were we were casting for you know the most important film we'd ever make because the one that you're making, I guess, is. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, and when I ask it, it's usually when I talk about the cast, uh, it's a subtext for me is it has a bearing on the way the story gets told. And in other words, you uh, actors bring their own flavor to a role, their their own take on on the script, and and, mm. and in a situation like this, in a film like this, where you've got so many things going on, there's so many kind of pieces to be moved around in terms of the production and telling the story. I'm always mm. curious about how uh, the actors sort of had a bearing on the way that you told the story. Did we stay right on script, or did you feel like they really brought a, a, a certain uh, take on the on the script that you that you incorporated in. I'd say I'd say I'd actually say both. I mean, my 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 process, I think, probably because of my, my roots in theatre and because I began as an actor initially, was very much to 
before we get to the words, because I do see words as the as the icing on the cake, is is to find the people. And so we we, we spent months together. You know, again, a luxury of a of smaller film, perhaps because yeah. it's not it's, it's less typical in film world, obviously. But we spent months working together to to find the people and to find the characters before I even wanted to start pushing into scene work and into you know breaking down beats or pushing into line work certainly. So we spent a long time just trying to, and I'm a big believer that you need to align with your your, your actors on their backstory. I've been on set before where. You turn up and the role's there and it's written, but the other person's done all this work, your actor has done all this work, and their their interpretation for themselves of their character is not directly aligned to yours. And mm. so when you hit that reference point and people say, you know, but my character would or wouldn't do this and those sort of things, if, if, if you're not on the same page at that point, potentially now you're going to be trying to re-correct your actor and re-guide them to something new mm. while they're on set. And I think that's definitely the less optimal time. And I think it makes your actor feel a bit less, you know, a bit more uncertain. And yeah. so to be able to spend that time coming to that character and coming to that sense where you feel you deeply know it that really allowed us to get on set and to really drop into the space and enter into a real that that that, that lovely sense of of stillness and silence and, and and shorthand connection where you can just look at each other across the room and you know exchange small looks and nods and little tiny corrections and and really maintain that that prime relationship is not being the mechanic to the set which is so obviously uh you know intense yeah. but really maintain the primacy of the of that performance mode of, of, of that reality that you're trying to exist within we're speaking with the director liam worthington and the film one less god just real quick um in terms of another thing about all of this is i want to compliment you on this film's feels like a bigger production than it probably was i'm i'm going to mm. ask you how many production days you actually shot <laughs> yeah, look, we we shot sixty three days. Oh, so. oh, you did. Well, yeah, that's, we did. That's wow. That's I know am, it's big. That's amazing because generally, well, it feels again, it feels like a big production, and and it. Mike, I, sorry to interrupt. I, we, I mean, I had a I had a casting director coming on board from the start, and he was going, "Look, we have to do this in between twelve to twenty days, and this is this is how we want to do it." And I just said, "Look, you know the." the the best directors in the world, you see what happens. They, they, they take longer and longer to make their films. Now, that's counterintuitive. If you're getting better and better at your craft, you should be able to potentially knock out something brilliant quicker and quicker and quicker. So we know the constraints and the reason we all try to work inside a smaller number of days is for money. So yeah. for me, it was, it was literally going, right, well, I think we're going to need to get to where we want to go a much longer shoot. And it, did, you know, it, it went over a bit further than we, we intended but that was because we could. Yeah. We had to find people who loved the project, who, you know, who we, we built a family and people who were willing to commit over that length and period of time that it yeah. took to, I think, you know, to what I think shows and gives us our quality up on the screen. Yeah. Well, that's fantastic. I'm thrilled to hear that you were able to do that. And it sounds like you, you really run kind of a very nimble film operation. It sounds like you really <laughs> are light on your feet in terms of your ability to pivot when you need to and make this thing work. Um, and... Go ahead. Beautiful way to put it, Mike. Yeah, I think that's I think that's critical. Yeah. Yeah, because I mean, most of the people that I have on the show, in, admittedly independent film, you know, very low budgets, usually eighteen to twenty twenty five days is you know yep. kind of the the range. Uh, so it's I mean that's great. It's great to hear, and I think for people who are listening to this who are making films, uh, you know, they can learn something from from you. And you're right, it takes commitment. It takes a lot of circumstances have to line up in order to do this the way you did it, but uh, that's good to hear, actually. 
Um, well, I think we're always we're always trying to pull money, obviously, out of the budget, and a, you know, and a, and a huge part of that is is just your number of shooting days. But if you can find the right team and the people who are going to spend more time, then I do think it lets you. It's uh, it, it it can be you know when you're you're trying to knock through four to five pages consistently a day, and you're trying to you know the number of setups that therefore you have to do. All those things will flow back through, and it's simply unrealistic to expect that that's not, you're not going to take some significant hits for that. And so then it just becomes about what you can manage, what you can negotiate. And I, I, so as opposed to, I think some people take maybe a little bit of misplaced pride in, you know, we made this in 12 days. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, I, I absolutely get it. And I applaud the level of, you know, focus and achievement in just knocking it out quickly. But at the same time, I, I, yeah. I think it's less ideal to process. And I think when we, we look at the broader world of film, that, that, that shows. All right. Well, let me let me let our audience know, as a viewer, as someone who's seen the film, where how that translates into the film itself. Because I have the sense of watching the film, and now that you've kind of reinforced that notion, that your scenes tend to be a little bit longer. You tend to linger on a situation uh, mm. in a way that now I understand you are able to really put in the time to shoot it from a lot of different angles. I mean, there was a lot of, undoubtedly a lot of setups, but the back and forth, particularly when we had the larger group, but even when we had the smaller sort of configuration of people in a, in a scene, you're able to really, it felt like you got a lot of stuff in, in terms of, a, as a filmmaker, the different angles, mm. the setups, the, the, the uh, allowing kind of the, the, the scene to breathe maybe a little bit more than you would have normally been able to do that. And that feels like that it comes across in the film. I think that's it's probably, yeah, I'd say it's a very accurate observation. I think that everyone's screen language has become so advanced. <laughs> we're, just, we're just so exposed to so much content and so much good content yeah. uh, that I do feel that when you're, it's one of the areas where it, it does show, where it, where it limits us. And there are good reasons why people shoot not just that much coverage, but, I, I, you know, you, when you're on set, you're you're also looking for that, that that moment or that that angle that 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 look that that it's almost lightning in a bottle that, that that lifts lifts the scene or lifts that moment just tends to sync with it and 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 it tells you that it's the right thing as opposed to you telling it that this is going to be the right thing and that just takes that little bit of extra you know that maybe that extra setup or maybe just that extra time right I think, for me yeah right and i will tell you that um i don't you know i don't not on the set of too many independent films, but I can tell you time is something that's, I'm sure, emphasized from the get-go. The director and the, and the actors particularly are aware that they have to get through four or five pages yeah. of script in that day. And I can't help but think that has some bearing on the choices that they make or the lack of choice that they make. It has to, absolutely. It, it has to. Yeah. And I'm not saying that, I mean, there have been tons of films that have been done on, you know, 18 days, you know, 20 days that are fantastic and everything they'd ever want in a film. That's but, right. But how often do you sacrifice <laughs> just a little bit of that edge that you would normally have by doing that? and uh, I think so. Yeah. I think a films might like, you know, like, like Beast of the Southern Wild or yeah. Out of Australia and Polynesia last year came Tanner. And these are works where, they're filmmakers again that have gone into a community and they spend a long time yeah. shooting this material yeah. and, and, and finding that magic that I think as, as filmmakers we really chase for to stand out. And I just don't think that comes quickly. Yeah. Yeah. And I will also say just as this, this film, One Less God, and we're speaking with uh, Liam uh, Worthington, the director of it, uh, that it feels like 
this is you handled a pretty wide ranging production. And it feels like a, a a wonderful. I'll just say this as a career sort of uh, boost to your to your ego for your career. It really <laughs> feels like you you really are able, you'd be able to handle a, a big budget film in in because of, just because of the way that this film plays out. And uh, and I you know I just I don't know if that is a, I don't know how much of a compliment that is to you because you want to make the films you want to make, but uh, it just feels like a, like I said earlier a, a bigger production in in a lot of ways. That I'm sure, in terms of the budget, it actually had. So, um, and, and uh, the the uh, the hotel becomes kind of a character, and which is another part of this. I'm sure the the challenge of making it look like a lot more than it actually was in terms of what yes. you had to do. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That again, I mean, those are all challenges. And also in the character development, I'm going to continue my my praise of you and your and your film. But in terms of the character development, what I really appreciated about it, we saw all of these people. The, the people who were hostages, the people who were committing this heinous crime and mm. all of it. And I think they were everyone was appropriate. And, and, and the, the main thing for me was the the militants, the, the people carrying out yeah. this, the two men who shot uh, Sashin and um, the other. Yasin and Ahmed. Yes, yeah. Yes. Yeah. You gave us a, a glimpse into their humanity. Mm. But I don't. But I think it was an appropriate amount because they were perpetrating terrible, terrible crime, uh, and they were doing ruthless things. And I thought that you gave it. You went right up to the line where we we were beginning to. We understood some of what their motivations were, but you didn't make them anything more than they were, which was cold blooded about what they did. And I, I, I like. I, I really appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, that that was it, 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 as for me as a as a as a storyteller. I think that was that you know it's probably one of the things I'm I'm definitely most proud of in the film, and and it was something that I guess is probably what kept me up most nights. That was that was the thing. You know, people talk about the ambition and scale of being. You know how you know how did you achieve that and yeah. do all those things, and that's understandable. But ambition of content, ambition of your 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 philosophy and the, the politics that you're trying to you're trying to wrestle with and deal with as a filmmaker i think that for me was 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 a far greater ambition yeah and so working to realize that and exactly what you said i'm so glad that's come through for you and also for others that we've had the feedback from was to draw that line where you go you can't apologize no. for the actions of one of the most horrendous actions that you can really you can set out to to embark upon yeah. and at the same time though we need to keep seeing the people right because the moment we stop seeing people, we're lost. We, we, we there's, there's, there's no path forward anymore. You know, it, we, we really have reached that ground where it's just to only to fight, where right. we cannot talk, where we don't believe there's anything to talk to, there is nothing to appeal to, and that's the danger when we see monsters. Right. And and it's also and it's also a mischaracterization. You know, and that's why you have a character like Ahmed who was obviously much more, you know, you, you would lend towards uh, psychopathy. But you can't just, when you look at something like ISIS, ISIS is not just a bug light to the world psychopaths. Right. It's also a bug light to uh, disaffected or disenfranchised young men or young men looking for purpose or young people looking for, you know, the, the, the you know, Middle Eastern version of Call of Duty, literally, is what's taking place, and so there's such a you know it's such a complex spectrum of, of issues that we're really trying to combat. If we really want to be able to get past it, if we really want to come to that global cohesive state of peace that I that I think so many of us so many of us want to reach. So yeah, to draw that in the film, I just I don't think we can talk around these issues 
yeah. from one side or the other anymore. We need to be so much better in our conversations. We need to, you know, find that conversation, which is the path less traveled. And that was a big part of why I wanted to make this film, because I do think that the discussions are typically happening in the wake of a terrorist attack itself. And I understand why that occurs then, but that's at the point when emotions are at their most highly charged, right. where it's the most, most inappropriate to be, to be talking about rationalizations or justifications for actions, no matter how legitimate. Or the flip side is that yeah, when emotions are so highly charged, you're not going to be you know, talking with reason. We're going to be more inclined to, to act out in a way which is uh, either rushed or, or, is, or is overly aggressive or, or just get a simple misread on what's going on, acting without all the information. Right. And also, the, you know, the old, the old saw that uh, violence begets violence. I, I, I keep yes. coming back to this. You know, um, I, I had the privilege of interviewing a, a man who, was, who did the uh, briefings, the intelligence briefings for the vice president for 20 years, uh, who came on the show to talk about this situation in the in the Middle East and around the world where we mm -hmm. found find these things happening, terrorism. Yes. And he said, you know, you can't have a situation where you have been brutalizing a region of the world since 1991 and the part of the United States, 26 years of nonstop military violence against a, against a population that is essentially innocent. They're the victims yeah. as much as anybody will, ever was in terms of what we have and not expect something to come from this. He, he, the, the analogy he used is, you know, we can do something, we can either drain the swamp in terms of taking away the circumstances that we find, that these fi people yeah. find themselves in, or we can position snipers around the swamp to shoot the mosquitoes as they come out, which is the yeah. one that makes the most sense, right? Yeah. We can drain yeah. the swamp yeah. or shoot the mosquitoes. And this is exactly, we're, right now we're just shooting mosquitoes, mostly. Yeah, abs absolutely. I mean, it's, it's, it's really interesting. There's a great point of reference to this in the film is that you take... Lashkari Taiba, which is the, the terrorist organization that yeah. conducted the 26-11-08 uh, Mumbai attacks, they, 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 they've been around for a fairly long time, and their, their whole positioning was we are, we are purely all about, a, about, about the, the, sorry, pardon me, about the Kashmir-India yeah. issue. About the fact, and for just for all audience listeners, that since, since the separation of, of India and Pakistan, there was a dispute about whether Kashmir should have, the Pakistan or should have gone to incredibly rich, beautiful, fertile grounds. Yeah. That both countries were basically been disputes and, and, and you know heavy violence ever since. And this 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 issue uh, with, with, with Lashkar is what they've been operating as legitimate within Pakistan. They were for a very long time, and even weren't as listed as a terrorist organization with many other countries, because they had a big political wing, and they were building hospitals, and they built schools slash madrasas. And so their community work and their outreach work in their society was uh, w was large. And so the way they were viewed were, were very much for, for people within Pakistan at that point, or certainly a large subset, were actually as freedom fighters for a part of for, for Kashmir. Yeah. Now, the way that things have gone, it's been fascinating to me to watch it in the last eight years, is that that global narrative has started to change. Last Gary Tiber's narrative had changed to, you know, now we are also that, that America is the existential enemies and that, uh, and so is Israel. And that they've expanded that brief for what very, you know, what initially was this idea of we're just focused on, on the Kashmir-India dispute. And you, you start to see that narrative shift too. So yeah. not only is it imperative to do that work and to, to, 
change the perception of, of, of you know who the West is and how we work in these countries and you know what values you know we, we really uphold. But also, be, you know, before it becomes you know before all that grey zone in the middle is removed, which you know people who are uh, xenophobic nationalists uh, push for, and which on the far side, so do the, so do the, the Islamic fundamentalists. Yeah. They they want the grey zone gone, so yeah. it's just two separated sides who will only fight. Oh, well, uh, well, this is a longer discussion, and I would love to have it, but I know that you have a, you have a day to get ahead of, of you, and I I, so I just want to congratulate you again on this film and on the humanity that you have brought to it, and uh, in a story that is ultimately one of tragedy, but also all when and also one of humanity as well as uh, people helping one another in ways that Thanks, are Mark. heroic. Um, we, 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 I'll just say we, that, that that was absolutely takeaway for me was you know it, it, we don't want the story to be one ultimately one about pain and suffering and terrorism it really is a story I think that is about our shared humanity you know and that, that the dark crossroads sometimes is the best place I think to hopefully find that it is the film is one less God and the director is uh, Liam Worthington. Hey, thank you so much, Liam, for coming on Film School. And hopefully, I'm sure you have other projects in the works. And come back again. Thanks, Mike. It's been it's been lovely speaking to you. Really appreciate it. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio.